Today on the Matt Wall Show, an NBC report featuring a trans kid has gone viral. The boy is chemically castrated and put on the path towards sterilization, even as we hear him tell his mother that he's having second thoughts. Also, a new study says that if you uh, wore an N95 mask, you were probably breathing in something called toxic, volatile, organic compounds. If that sounds bad, it's because it is. Plus, police in Nevada earn a standing ovation for the American public after they blow through a climate protester blockade and drag everybody away in handcuffs. It's a heartwarming video. And Oliver Anthony divides conservatives with his recent comments about politics and, quote, conservative news. We'll discuss all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Before giving our dog rough greens, he was so sad and lazy. Well, now he actually enjoys his squeaky toys and playing fetch with his Frisbee. Our pup's days are filled with laughter, exercise, and endless fun. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Little did I know before I got Rough Greens, dog food is dead food. Everybody knows that nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, let Rough Greens boost your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. Just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's R-U-F-F, greens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. If there's one thing trans activists desperately do not want you to do under any circumstance, it's think back to what life was like before the rise of trans ideology. They need you to believe that before we allowed men to compete against women in sports and before every company in the Fortune 500 started spending hundreds of millions of dollars hiring demented activists with blue hair, the old world was a bleak hellscape. Children were killing themselves en masse because their subjective sense of gender identity wasn't being affirmed. In this dark age of transphobia, which ran from basically the dawn of time until yesterday, middle-aged men went insane with despair because they couldn't cross-dress in front of toddlers at the local library. Law firms and consultants simply couldn't give good advice to their clients on account of the fact that they didn't have enough cross-dressers in leadership positions. Things were dire. In order for any sane person to buy into this narrative, it's vitally important that they not watch any footage from before the mass formation psychosis of trans ideology took hold in this country. So naturally, we'll begin with some of that footage. Here, for example, is a report by NBC News from the year 2012. And this was uh, resurfaced this weekend by, by the popular account End Wokeness. And it quickly went viral. And you'll see why. Watch. To me, it seems ridiculous to have a, a kid at age 12, 13, 14 deciding whether they want to have biological children when they're 20, 30, or 40. I mean... Well, they make the decision to kill themselves at 12 and 13. That's a pretty powerful decision. We take an oath. First, do no harm. If doing nothing is doing harm, you have to do something. So that's a mainstream news anchor explaining that, quote, it seems ridiculous to have a kid age 13 or 14 deciding whether they want to have biological children. She's saying what most Americans would have agreed with at the time, and still do, which is that it's crazy to administer cross-sex hormones, which sterilize patients for life, to young kids who are barely teenagers. They're permanently forfeiting their ability to procreate at an age when they can't possibly understand the implications of such a decision. Just about a decade ago, it was not blasphemy to point that out. It was instead the default position of milk toast personalities 
on NBC News. You're not allowed to say those things anymore, and it's easy to see why. The doctor in that clip has no response except to say that children can kill themselves at that age, which she calls a powerful decision. She actually says that. It's a powerful decision for kids to kill themselves. Those are her words. It's such a deranged answer that it's hard to know where to begin in responding to it. So now a person is capable of informed consent as long as they are physically able to commit suicide? What the hell kind of standard is that? Also, notice how the suicide threat doesn't do anything to answer any of the actual objections of critics. Even if it's true that a child will kill themselves if they don't transition, and it's not true, there's no data to support that, and all of human history shows that that's a lie. But even if it were true, does that mean that a child really can consent? Does it mean that the boy really is a girl? Put it this way, are we transitioning the boy because the claims he's making about himself are true, or are we doing it as a desperate last-ditch effort to prevent him from killing himself? It, it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. But it can be neither. And it turns out that it's neither. Now, raising any of these concerns is now forbidden. If that same anchor said the same thing today, as we all know, she'd be driven out of town by a, a mob of pitchfork-wielding LGBT activists. So this whole NBC News segment is worth scrutinizing for this reason. It's like a, a time capsule from before everyone completely lost their minds. And to that end, here's the portion of that NBC News segment where they talk about a young boy by the name of Joseph Romero. Watch. Guidelines developed in Europe suggest waiting until around age 16. And bioethicist Dr. Moon says the few studies that do exist suggest young kids with gender identity problems often grow out of them. A lot of those kids that start out as children who are saying, I'm in the wrong body, end up finding out by the time they're middle adolescence that they're actually fairly comfortable with their own gender. But Josie is not one of those kids. Or is she? Maybe I'm a boy inside and a girl outside. Really? Estrogen treatment is irreversible and would make Josie sterile. But Josie and her mother never doubted it was the right thing until an unexpected conversation happened one afternoon. But on the inside, where nobody else can see? Yeah. Are you a boy or are you a girl? Maybe I'm a boy inside and a girl outside. Really? Yeah, is that true? Only you know the answer to that. So if you wanted to grow up to be a man, yeah. would you tell me? Mm, yeah. Hey, if you wanted to grow up and be a man, you could. I want to be... Sometimes I think I'm a boy, sort of, but I want to be a girl. Yeah. Would you love me if I'm a boy? Of course. I would love you no matter what. I always have, and I always will. Now, the, the little slight hint of skepticism that we get for NBC, from NBC in this report, you know, at least uh, showing us that there are uh, some doctors out there who will say that it's not a good idea to make permanent life-altering uh, changes to a child. Like that small, small hint of skepticism these days would not be allowed at all. But the most important part from this clip is we have the child, Joseph Romero, clearly expressing confusion and hesitation. In fact, he says that maybe he's a boy trapped in a girl's body 
instead of the other way around, even though he already has a boy's body. Um, or he says, yeah, he says it's a boy, a boy trapped in a girl's body is what he says now. This is how turned around and upside down this poor kid's self-perception has become, become thanks to Munchausen mommy and her enablers. He has no idea what he thinks about himself. He's just, he's confused. Of course he is because he's a child and he's been put in this environment. He's as confused as any kid would be, as you or I would have been. Yet they went ahead and sterilized him anyway. Now imagine looking at a young boy like that who's so clearly confused and saying, yeah, I think sterilizing him is a good idea. It's unthinkable. That's exactly what happened. And it happened because Romero's parents wanted it to happen for a long time. Several years before that segment aired on NBC News, back in 2009, this was in 2012, but back in 2009, Romero's parents made it clear that they wanted to lock him into his girl identity as soon as possible. So they transitioned him and immediately announced it to the entire world. He's, he's, been, he's been profiled by major media outlets since he was at least eight years old. Now, even if you're crazy enough to think that a little boy can really be a girl in some mystical sense, you still have to see how there is no benefit to the child to the child if you make it a public spectacle. Yet that's what the parents of trans kids so often do. Yet somehow none of the doctors involved in this boy's healthcare are alarmed by any of these red flags in any way. Instead, the doctor featured in this segment, whose name is Johanna Olson, decides to administer so-called puberty blockers to Joseph anyway. Watch. Dr. Olson had a decision. You are in the perfect place to start on blockers. And she promises to begin giving her estrogen, female hormones, in two years. Around 13. That's what I think. Yes, you're not going to develop breast buds on the blockers. But um, you're not going to wait until 16 to start. You know that, okay? Josie received the blockers as an implant in her arm. It's okay if you cry. So with all the bravery she could muster, Josie held on tight as another chapter opened in this young girl's life. (laughs) A lot of times it strikes me that had this happened just 20 years ago, thank you, I wouldn't have been able to give her blockers and she would have had to go through male puberty. That terrifies me. It's all done. Do you want a hug? I don't know that she would have survived male puberty. Now, it's hard to imagine any decent person watching that footage and not calling for the immediate arrest of everybody involved in the production, from the doctors to the NBC News producers to the parents. But nobody called for that back in 2012 when it aired. And that's kind of a big takeaway from this segment, is that conservatives had a chance to shut down the child gender transition racket early on. If there had been a loud and aggressive response to this agenda in its early stages back in 2012, maybe it never would have made it off the ground. But the conservative movement has historically been incapable of responding to cultural threats until they're so ingrained that they'll take decades to root out and destroy. And this is a prime example of that. The doctors involved in this barbarism have only gotten promotions and more power in the interim. On Twitter, Billboard Chris reports that the doctor in that NBC News segment is now running the gender clinic at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. This doctor is somewhat infamous for a clip that we played on this show a couple of years ago. Uh, And if you don't remember, we'll play it again. Here she is explaining that it's okay to chop off uh, a young girl's breasts because she can always get new ones if she wants. Watch. 
I'm just going to say this, but actually, people get married when they're under 20. Actually, people choose colleges to go to. Actually, people make life-altering decisions in adolescence. All the time. All the time. And honestly, most of them are good. It's just the bad ones that we talk about. Oh my God, the cinnamon challenge, right? I mean, why do we know about it? Because it's, it's a thing and it's, it's, not, it's not common. Like most teenagers aren't eating cinnamon, right? But some are and they're on YouTube and that's stupid. But we don't put on YouTube the things that are really good decisions, right? Oh my gosh, my kid took the SATs. Not a very exciting after school special, right? But so what we do know is that adolescents actually have the capacity to make a reasoned, logical decision. And here's the other thing about chest surgery. If you want breasts at a later point in your life, you can go and get them. Now, any sane human being watching that clip would think, well, this person shouldn't be anywhere near children, much less running a gender clinic. But the truth is that documentaries and reports about trans kids often uh, cite experts like this who are clearly activists who are deranged. I mean, everything she says in that clip is either totally false or completely beside the point. She claims that most decisions that teenagers make are good, which is just an insane thing to say. If you've ever, if you've, if you've ever met a teenager or been one, then you know how insane that is. She claims that you can go and get breasts uh, at a later point in your life after you've chopped them off, which is also insane. That's like saying you might as well chop your arm off because you can always get a new one. No, you, you can get a prosthetic. But you can never have the actual body part back. Most notably, she lists taking the SATs as a positive, life-altering decision that kids make. But that's not life-altering in the same permanent and irreversible and physical way that sterilizing yourself and removing body parts is. And besides, kids don't choose to take the SATs. The SATs are invented and administered by adults. Two kids who were either given no choice in the matter by their parents or were heavily influenced in their decision, quote unquote decision, by the fact that every adult has told them it's necessary to take the test if you want to be successful in life. So if gender transition is similar to taking the SATs as this doctor claims, that only proves that kids who transition are forced to do it or heavily pressured just as they are with the SATs. She has made the opposite of the point she was trying to make. And this is pretty common. Inadvertently, trans activists often reveal truths that they wanted to keep hidden, which is especially common in these documentaries like this one from NBC that show the child transition process. We all remember the clips of Jazz Jennings revealing his deep unhappiness to his mother. Or recall the HBO documentary called Transhood. The, the whole film was full of children who clearly didn't want to be a part of the gender cult. And here's just one profoundly disturbing segment from that documentary. Watch. Good morning. Good morning. Today we choose to recognize, honor, love, and celebrate anyone here who would claim their identity publicly as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, pansexual, asexual, or any category that I've left out. <laughs> this is Phoenix. I'm You're a little shy. Do you want to tell everyone if you're a boy or a girl? 
like you to know that she's a girl and she prefers she and her pronouns. May you be well, safe, and whole. We honor you exactly as you are. So the boy is dragged up on stage at the fake church to announce his fake gender, but he has no interest in being a part of this spectacle. His mother is literally pulling him along by his hand, bringing him deeper into a, quote, gender identity that she picked out for him. Also in the same HBO documentary, we see a young child being recruited by his mother to become a trans activist, even as the boy objects and says that it's ruining his life. Watch. NBC, we're going to be, and we're going to be moving to the White House facential area to throw a book at Donald Trump's face. I don't think that we want to say that, no. This one is Time to Thrive, and it's for people who work with LGBTQ youth. We actually go and meet with our senators and representatives. After we do that, we go and sit and sell some of Avery's books for a little while. Avery, manners. I just don't want to even have a book. I've done too much in this world. It's ruined my life enough, and now everyone in this world is going to know. If I sell my book, it's going to go on the news for like, with, along with me for like the 50th time at this point. And it's just going to make my life worse. A couple years ago, you wanted people to know. Yeah, I, now... I did, but now that was really stupid, silly mistake, and now I don't. Yeah, that's something. Mm -hmm. We'll go back now. So you listen to mother there. She says, well, a couple of years ago, you wanted this. Yeah, when he was seven, you moron. What, you wanted? You said you wanted something when you were seven that you don't want a couple of years later? That's unheard of. Who's ever known a seven-year-old to change their mind? The child says it's ruined his life. Now, keep in mind that these are the, these are the quote, trans kids who they put on TV. Okay, These are supposed to be the mascots for child gender transition. These are supposed to be the case studies that make the child gender transition industry look good. These are the ones that they have hand-picked. And yet these kids are clearly in pain and confused and abused. And they want out. So what about all those kids who aren't on TV? What about the ones who don't make the cut to be profiled by HBO or NBC or TLC? Watching clips like these, it's clear there's a reason the media has been much more careful in recent years about putting so-called trans kids on camera. They only do it now for very short propaganda pieces. They don't let the kids say too much. They're careful not to show too much. It's the same reason they don't want you talking about news reports from a decade ago. Trans activists desperately don't want the truth to slip through the cracks. They know that the more people are able to distance themselves from the relentless propaganda of the moment, the more people can get an unfettered look at the lifelong debilitating consequences of trans ideology on children, the more transgenderism is exposed for the fraud that it is. The bad news is that for the past several years, trans activists have largely succeeded in hiding the damage that they've done. But the good news is that finally, the truth is coming out. Now let's get to our five headlines.
As many of you know, I'm a true grill master. I love grilling up just about anything. Thanks to my friends at Cinch, my grill is never empty with propane. Because of this, I can uh, have whatever I want, whenever I want, on the grill. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule. Does not require any long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere, whether you're uh, grilling for your friends, camping with your family, or lighting up your fire pit on a cold summer night. Cinch's propane delivery service ensures that you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment. Go online to cinch.com or download their app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just $10 with promo code Walsh. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com. Promo code Walsh this is a limited time offer, and you must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Visit cinch.com slash offer for details. Also, you know, if you want some positive news in the culture war, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the left has lost their mind, making abortion their official sacrament. The pro-life efforts, which are more important now than ever, are booming. You heard that right. Despite the, nar the narrative, pro-lifers didn't go away. They increased in number. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one's in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in each state in a post-Roe America. 40 Days for Life is changing hearts and minds in the most blue pro-abortion states. They've had a record number of locations since Roe was overturned, and they grew in both volunteers and locations. With about a million volunteers in 1,500 cities, they hold peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. You can help them fight the ongoing legal battles by protecting free speech for their volunteers by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount at 40daysforlife.com. That's 40daysforlife.com. So on Friday, we talked about the war on plastic straws, which was waged at the behest of a nine-year-old boy in order to save the planet from certain destruction. And because of this war, we switched over to paper straws, which are pretty much the least efficient, least effective material to make straws with. But, you know, if you, if you prefer to drink your straw rather than to drink with your straw, then they're perfect because they dissolve into the liquid and, you know, you drink the, uh, you, so you're consuming the straw itself. Well, as it turns out, um, paper straws are not going to save the planet because, uh, in fact, they're made with what are called forever chemicals, which last longer than plastic, and they also cause cancer and other ailments. So we were told to go along with the paper straw thing because it's only a small sacrifice for the greater good, but it turns out that it's a, it's a small sacrifice that achieves nothing and, in fact, uh, 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 actually causes more problems than it solves. And that brings us to the latest update, which is not about paper straws, but rather about a different product that was also supposed to save humanity a few years ago. And uh, this is from the Daily Mail. Quote, the surgical N95 mask has been held up as the gold standard when it comes to protecting against COVID. But a study quietly reshared by the National Institutes of Health in spring suggests the tight-fitting mask may expose users to dangerous levels of toxic chemicals. Researchers from Jean Buck National University in uh, South Korea looked at two types of disposable medical-grade masks, as well as several reusable cotton masks. The studies found that the chemicals released by these masks had eight times the recommended safety limit of toxic, volatile, organic compounds, TVOCs. Inhaling TVOCs has been linked to health issues like headaches and nausea, which, uh, while prolonged and repeat, repeated uh, use, has been linked to organ damage and even cancer. Quote, it's clear that particular attention must be paid to the VOCs associated with the use of KF94 medical masks uh, and their effects on human health, the researchers wrote in the study published in April. However, there are ways to reduce the damage, they said. Exposure can be significantly reduced if a mask is opened and left to sit for at least 30 minutes, the researchers wrote. This suggests that the packaging of these masks could play a role in the amount of chemicals they have. Once again, our basic common sense intuitions have been vindicated, all right? 
Like this is this is not a surprise to most of us. Now, we may we may not have said anything before about toxic volatile compounds. Okay, I don't remember back when the mask debate was really raging. I don't remember the anti-mask crowd. Of course, myself being in that crowd, I don't remember any of us saying, "Well, but there are toxic volatile compounds in these masks." Uh, we didn't say anything about that specifically because we didn't know about that. But many of us could intuit the fact that it's probably not healthy to strap a mask to your face all day. Why isn't healthy? Isn't it healthy? Well, because the healthiest thing, it seemed to us, is to have direct access to the air outside. The healthiest thing is to breathe in the actual air. And of course, when we said that three years ago, we were shouted down by a bunch of smarmy idiots saying, oh yeah, you think the mask isn't healthy? What are you, a scientist? Where are the studies, huh? You have any studies about that? What studies did you read that says that it's not a good idea to muzzle yourself all day? You don't have any studies. The answer, as always, is that the studies to confirm what any rational person already knew would be coming in the future, but they weren't there yet. And why is that? Well, because prior to COVID, it was never considered an option to have billions of people wearing masks all day, every day, everywhere, all the time. Nobody had really studied that because nobody had been crazy enough to do it. And the left is always using this kind of thing to their advantage, right? They, they implement some insane new policy, and then they go, oh yeah, how do you know this is insane? How do you know it? Nobody's studied it. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, it turns out. Now, it's not to say that they were mistaken or something. Um, this is all by design. And, and the design is to get us to question and ultimately reject our own common sense judgments. You know, they don't want you to use common sense. It, it, was, it was to the point, as I'm sure you recall, where, you know, you had people wearing N95 masks while they were exercising going for a six-mile jog around town and wearing an N95 mask. And once again, those with common sense among us looked at that and said, there's no way that's healthy. It just can't be. That cannot be healthy to wear that thing on your face while you're jogging in the heat. And the response always was, can you prove it? How do you know? It's like, well, I don't need to prove it. It's just obvious. It's common, self-evident. Of course, that's not a healthy thing. No, you got to wait. You got to wait three years, and then they'll come back around and say, oh, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, so there might have been something to that. Common sense is the enemy of leftism. So they uh, demand that you ignore common sense. You ignore your own brain, uh, the voice in your own head, your own instincts, your own intuition, and instead blindly follow them while they proceed to lead you directly into a ditch and then another ditch, and the ditches get progressively deeper. But the more you follow, the more you're conditioned towards pure obedience, just for the sake of it. And, uh, and that's the game. That's the way the game is played. And we all need to stop playing it. So I have to mention this. You've probably seen it by now, but uh, I'm, oh, look, I'm a sucker for heartwarming videos. Uh, I just am. That may surprise you to learn about me, but I, I'm, uh, I'm a, yeah, I, 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 I love the heartwarming. Like anytime I see one of those videos that comes up, um, on the feed of, uh, you know, like a, a young child 
getting a hearing aid for the first time and hearing his mother's voice for the first time. Uh, very heartwarming. I always stop and watch those videos to warm my cold, dead heart. And um, But of all the heartwarming videos I've seen online in recent weeks, I think none were quite so um, so nice as this one. Let's Let's watch it together. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Uh, like I said, I'm just I'm a sucker for these kinds of videos. So that was the that was the tribal police in Nevada dealing with climate protesters who were blocking the highway. And as you can see, they just ram right through the barricade. Uh, they throw the protesters on the ground, cuff them, drag them off, while they cry and whine. We're nonviolent. It's just fantastic to see. And there are a bunch of other videos like this from different angles. Um, and uh, you can see the whole interaction. It's fantastic. Uh, I love every second of it. It's worth watching all of it. And the great thing is that the protesters themselves are the ones who filmed this and posted it, thinking that we would sympathize with them, that we would watch this and go, look at what those mean police did. That's terrible. Except, except that literally everyone who saw these videos said, wow, that's awesome. Good for those cops. That's great. Well done. And this is how cops should deal with these clowns everywhere. No patience, no mercy. Throw them in cuffs and drag them away. Ram through the barricades uh, and just deal with them like that. It, it, it's all great. And it's great because, for one thing, okay, blocking the road is not nonviolent. You are using physical force. You're using your own bodies to impede the movements of thousands of people. That is not nonviolent. And you have no idea where those thousands of people are going or where they need to be. They could be going to the hospital with a sick child. You know, you don't know. Not to mention, you're trapping all these people in, in their cars in, in the heat out in the desert. So, yeah, that's a violent act, and it should be treated as such. But notice something else, and really take note of this. Everybody loves the fact that these cops are just shutting these a-holes down. Everyone loves it. There was a, there's a climate protester group called Climate Defiance, and they posted uh, that video that I just showed you with an outraged caption that says, words fail, words utterly fail. Today, a police truck plowed into a peaceful climate blockade. These are the people entrusted to keep us safe. These are the people we've granted a monopoly on the use of force. How is this okay? And the thing is, every single comment responding to that post, every single one was like, it's okay with me. Looks great to me. That's how everyone feels. 
Okay, if you were to put this video in front of all 330 million people in the country, it's guaranteed that at least 329,999,993 of them would love the video. Very close to 100%. And why is that? Well, because the average person is sick of this. They're just sick of it. Um, you know, I think like 10 years ago, maybe, that same exact video might get a slightly, I think still most people would be on the side of the cops, but there might be a few more people who would see that video 10 years ago and say, oh, that was a little excessive. Come on, you don't have to do that. Um, but these days, people are sick. They're tired of the lawlessness. They're tired of these kinds of jerks interfering with your day for no reason. Uh, they're tired of people who make your life harder and more miserable just because they can. They're tired of the lack of accountability, the fact that you know people just do whatever they want and the law is not enforced. They're sick of it. And they're ready for uh, some, some, uh, some tough love, some, some rough and tumble. That's what they're ready for. And I think Republican politicians would do well to take note of that. That is the, the mood. That's the national mood right now. One where people just want law and order. That's what they want. That's what we should always want. But uh, especially now, that's what people want. All right, I want to talk about, well, there's this Oliver Anthony thing. Um, last week, Anthony, of course, uh, the, I mean, of course, the guy that's behind the uh, Richmond, North of Richmond song, uh, he, he put out a video, I think it was just late last week, maybe on Friday, that got a lot of attention and uh, really seemed to sort of divide people on the right. There, kinda, there, there are two camps now um, that when it comes to Oliver Anthony and, and, uh, and especially this video. Let's watch the video first and then we'll talk about it. If there is anything for me to address at all with you, it's that uh, you know, it's the one thing that has bothered me is seeing people wrap politics up into this. Uh, I'm disappointed to see, like, it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I've tried to be polite to everybody, and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. But it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant, and that's aggravating as hell. The other thing that I find aggravating is, uh, well, you know, like, it was funny seeing my song in the, it was, fun, it was funny seeing it at the presidential debate, because it's like, I wrote that song about those people, you know? So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. <laughs> Uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. Um, that song is written about the people on, the, on that stage. And a lot more, too. Not just them, but, but definitely them. 
Okay, now Anthony has come out and clarified uh, his political stance since that video, uh, kind of restating that he's a centrist and that he said it's it's the song's not about Joe Biden, but uh, but uh, it, well, it's not just about Joe Biden. He meant um, it's about you know it's bigger than Joe Biden and all that, which of course the problem is bigger than Joe Biden. Um, but what he says in the video is interesting because it, it, it seems to have divided conservatives. And there are some who say that they like the guy even more now, uh, that he, he, this just makes him more, even more real and authentic and anti-establishment and all the rest of it. And it's all great. And then there are others who say that Anthony is trying to distance himself from conservatives, that he's basically throwing his own fan base under the bus to appease the left. And they're upset about that. I'm not really in either camp exactly. And here's the way that I see it. First, to Anthony's credit, or in his defense, I guess, um, he never planned to become nationally known overnight. Um, He obviously wasn't prepared for the fame because you really can't be prepared for it until you have it. And for him, he went from, he went from like very not famous, right? He went from very obscure to famous in, in 24 hours. And that doesn't happen very often. Um, and even if it happens over the span of, uh, you know, if you climb up the ladder of fame over the course of years, it still is, it's still, you get to a certain point where it's, it, it's, there's not, you know, there's no guidebook that you can really read that will tell you how to navigate it. Um, there are a lot of people, you know, there are publicists and consultants and whatever else, you know, whatever people that, that claim that they're the experts. And, and some of them are, are good, you know, do have good advice and others don't. Um, but even being able to navigate that and know who you should listen to and who you shouldn't listen to, again, there really isn't. It's just you're kind of, you feel like you're on your own. So um, so he's dealing with that, and that's, and that's bewildering and overwhelming, and uh, we can only imagine. Also, he's a, he's a singer. Uh, he's not a, a political pundit. He's not an analyst. Um, he's not a talking head. Uh, he's also not a philosopher, right? He's a musical artist, and that's all he wants to be, which is fine. That's good. That's all we should ask of them. Okay, we, sh- we shouldn't want musicians to be political pundits. And if a musician comes along that has a me- and he has a message that resonates with people on the right, it's very much a mistake to take that guy and insist that he become a Fox News pundit. That's the worst thing you could do. Uh, we, don't need, we don't need to have him defending some party line, right? You don't need musical artists to do that. You don't need artists in general to do that. They shouldn't be focused on a party line. They should just be, uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they should be engaged with their art and um, expressing themselves that way. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, look, nobody cares if Oliver Anthony is criticizing Republicans. We all do that. Nobody criticizes Republicans more than conservatives. It's our favorite pastime. We all do it all the time. That's that's all fine, okay? So I don't care about that. But just to be totally honest, when he says that he's aggravated by people in, quote, conservative news, I guess there are various ways of interpreting that, but that would seem to me very much to be a reference to the people who gave him a platform to begin with. People who... um, you know, people who connected his song to other people. Now, people connected with the song because it's a good song, and that's all on him. He made a good song. But they heard it to begin with because of conservative media and conservative personalities and influencers. Prior to that, Oliver Anthony had an audience of basically no one on YouTube. Um, And that's just a fact. 
You know, he, he wouldn't have an audience without the conservative media personalities that he is now aggravated by. Uh, and look, I'm old fashioned. I admit, I tend to think, uh, you know, like a thank you is perhaps more in order than expressions of aggravation. I don't know. But what, what really rubbed me the wrong way, most of all, is not even that. When, when he says musicians, he throws musicians into that. And he says, I'm, I'm aggravated by the musicians who are pretending to be buddies with me. Like, who, which musicians are you referring to? Because only, only a very, very, very few prominent musicians ever acknowledged that the guy even exists. I mean, John Rich is the only one I can even think of. There might have been a few others, but, uh, and, and John Rich was not pretending to be Oliver's buddy. He was, he was trying to help him get his music out. Um, almost all the other musicians just it never said a single word about Oliver Anthony at all. So, and the few who did were complimenting him and supporting him. And he's saying that he's aggravated by them, which is interesting. And finally, he says that he's aggravated by the fact that the song was played at the Republican debate. Well, you know, an interesting fact here is that Fox called him and asked for permission to play it at the debate. And we know that because the Fox anchors who are the moderators have said that. They said they got permission. But even if they didn't say that, we already know. Anyone who knows how these things work already knows. You know, when I heard it, that it, heard it playing at the debate myself, I, I immediately knew that, that Oliver Anthony approved that because of copyright law. And they're not going to just play the song without permission. I mean, they could, but, but they're probably not going to. They're going to the, get permission. And they said that they did. So he uh, approved the song being played and then said he's aggravated by it. And then said he doesn't want the, so the song politicized. Did he approved it being played at a political debate. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's where I'm at here. I, you know, I, I do think he seems to be playing sort of both sides of the fence a little bit. And I don't mean politically. I don't care that he's a centrist. Uh, centrist, centrism is incoherent. It, it, it's never made less sense to be a political centrist than it does today when the, when the two sides are so fundamentally opposed on the fundamental realities of life. There really is no middle ground on these issues. An issue like, for example, uh, is a woman, a, you know, can a woman be a man or not? Like, there's no middle ground. It's just, it, you can't, there, it doesn't exist. So you really do have to choose a side. You just do, period. Um, so centrism makes no sense, but, but I don't care about that. You know, if you're a musician and you say you're a centrist, whatever, who cares? That's not the point. Um, it's the, what could be perceived as throwing people who've helped and supported you under the bus. That's the thing I don't like. But then again, you know, the guy doesn't have a PR firm helping him through this. That's the point. So it is what it is. That's what we're left with. That's my take. Um, okay. Let's see. One other story here. Rock legend Carlos Santana had some, had some choice words at a uh, concert last week. And let's, let's, Listen to that, and then we'll talk about what happened after this, but go ahead. There is no virtual reality. When God made you and me, before we came out of the womb, you know who you are and what you are. Later on, when you grow up and you see things, and you start believing that you could be 
something that it sounds good but you know it ain't right because a woman is a woman and a man is a man yeah. whatever you want to do in the closet that's your business so I'm okay with that I am like this with my brother Dave Chappelle uh, so there we go. There's Carlos Santana. Well said, well done. Nicely put. Woman is a woman, a man is a man. Shouldn't take any real courage to say that. Uh, but but uh, that's the world we live in, and he said it. And notice, notice the reaction from the crowd. Everyone is, there's no one booing. Everyone's cheering him, uh, which I think tells you where the culture is right now. But now we start the, cl- the countdown clock. How many days before he issues the inevitable apology to the trans community for making these bigoted and biologically correct statements. How many days will it take? That's that's the question. Well, it turns out um, if you said one day, then you were exactly right. It took one day. A day later, we have this. From the Daily Wire, rock legend Carlos Santana issued an apology this week after a clip of him went viral from a concert where he said, a woman is a woman, a man is a man, that's it. The 76-year-old guitarist said in a post on social media, quote, I'm sorry for my insensitive comments. They don't reflect that I want to honor and respect all persons, ideals, and beliefs. I realized that what I said hurt people, and that was not my intent. I sincerely apologize to the transgender community and everyone I offended. I want to honor and respect all persons, ideals, and beliefs, whether they're LGBTQ or not. This is the planet of free will, and we've all been given this gift. It takes courage to grow and glow in the light that you are and to be true, genuine, and authentic. We grow and learn to shine our light with love and compliments. Have a glorious existence. Peace. Um, there we go. Now, they, they posted that on uh, on Facebook, and uh, it appeared, I think, that it was deleted shortly after it was posted, but then it was reposted. And so as far as I know right now, it's still on Facebook. Um, and uh, I, I, maybe there are people that want to give Carlos Santana the benefit of the doubt, and say that, oh, this must have been the publicist again. It was another, it's like the Neo situation. A publicist posted it. Um, I don't really buy that. I, don't, I, I didn't buy that excuse for Neo. I don't buy it here. I certainly wouldn't buy it in this case. Especially because that, that statement did not come off like a publicist statement. That came off like Carlos Santana. Uh, it, it came off like an aging rock musician uh, issuing an apology. That's, they, that's, it very much came off that way. It actually came off like he wrote it. Um, and uh, maybe maybe having, having, having been given some, some bullet points from some publicists who said, you need to apologize, and here are some points you need to make when you apologize. And then he kind of, because uh, he starts rambling at a certain point about love and compliments and glorious existence, yeah, whatever. Um, so he apologized for speaking basic facts. And I don't know what's more depressing the fact of the apology or the fact that we all knew it was coming, how predictable it is. Um, and just the sheer cowardice. And of course, anytime somebody speaks out and then apologizes for speaking truth, it's, it's always cowardice and they should always be condemned for it. Okay. This is far worse than never saying anything at all. And that's why I always say, look, if you don't have the guts to stand by your words, then just shut your mouth and don't say anything. That's a lot better. Now, I think everyone should speak out and speak the truth and live the, and 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 uh, stand by the truth 
boldly and loudly and all that and, and, and with courage. But if you don't have the, the guts, to do it, then just don't say anything. Just play the damn song and shut up. That's it. And then none of this happens. It's so much worse and so much more damaging when you say the truth and then apologize for it. And you do so immediately, which tells me that you weren't prepared. It's, you know, it's not even like somebody says something that's true and then they get, and then they, they, they get the, you know, the, the, the left descends upon them and rips them to shreds and ruins their lives and their livelihood and you know, a month later, they they come out because they've just, everything's been destroyed, their life's been destroyed, and then they finally apologize because they're desperate and they've had enough, right? And they and they give in. That would be, that wouldn't be good either. I mean, I would still condemn that as cowardice. But that would at least be better than this when it's like a day later, 12 hours later. So you weren't prepared to withstand any criticism of your statements, just the first criticism you get, the first time one trans activist says, you know, that's transphobic. In that first moment, you go, oh, you think that? Well, never mind. I apologize for everything I said. If that, if you are that spineless, then just don't say anything. But in this guy's case in particular, you're 76 years old and you're rich. I don't know what his net worth is, but it's got to be tens of millions. So you're, you're worth tens of millions of dollars. You're a very wealthy person. You're a rock musician. Uh, You're you're playing to crowds who agree with what you said, clearly, based on the reaction from the crowd. And you're an elderly man. Like, what do you care? Why would, of all the people who might care what others say about them or what trans activists say about them, why would you care? That is what is... um, so uh, kind of demoralizing is that we need, you know, there, there, there are, when it comes in particular to, to trans ideology, there are so many people that know that it's wrong. I mean, almost everyone does. And of all the people that know that it's wrong, there are certain people who are in a position where they can speak out against it and they really risk nothing. They, they have nothing, nothing is on the line really. Because they're in a position either because of their fame or their wealth or whatever, or their age or a combination of factors where there's really nothing that anyone can take from them. And so those people should be the first ones speaking out. And yet they're not. I mean, J.K. Rowling is pretty much the only one who, who said, well, she said, I've got a billion dollars. I'm rich, I'm rich enough to live, you know, a million years. What are these people going to do? They can't do anything. So I might as well and so she speaks out, and every time they complain, that's kind of her, her response back to them. Like, what are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. You can't touch me. I'm uncancelable. It's good that she's doing that, but there are so many more who could be in her, uh, who might not have a billion dollars, but they are, you know, in a position where they could speak out and risk very little, and yet they still won't do it. Pretty pathetic, but uh, it's what we're used to at this point. Is your cell phone in desperate need of replacement? You know the signs. Short battery life, so you have to have a charger on hand all the time. Cracked screen that gives you glass splinters. Well, it's time to put that old phone to rest and upgrade to a new 5G Samsung Galaxy from Pure Talk for free. Get a free 5G Samsung Galaxy with two-day battery life, edge-to-edge display, and ultra-strong Gorilla Glass when you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, text, and 15-gig data plan. 
for just $35 a month. Plus, it comes with a mobile hotspot. Get all the data you could ever need for half the price of the big carriers on America's most dependable 5G network. Go to puretalk.com slash Walsh for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to Pure Talk. Again, visit puretalk.com slash Walsh and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, the official wireless partner of The Daily Wire. When Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for those who uh, champion free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remain unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you're not going to find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which includes vision and destiny, marriage, and dragons, monsters, and men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, like Logos and Literacy and Jordan's groundbreaking series on the Book of Exodus. Haven't even mentioned this, uh, his Beyond Order lecture series or his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts. This is the absolute compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more exclusive content on the horizon. This is only the beginning. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. A prominent author named Andrea Bartz reignited a familiar conversation over the weekend when she tweeted about the joys of being, quote, child-free. Here's what her post said. Uh, she's first quoting people on the other side. She says, child-free people will never experience the joy of watching their child touch grass for the first time. And she responds to that by saying, okay, but do parents know the joy of being 37 and sleeping in and drinking coffee in silence and then leaving the house on a moment's notice whenever the F I want? Every few months we get a, another attempt by a childless woman, it is almost always a woman, to try and convince us that it's actually a great idea to live only for yourself and die by yourself and Make yourself into an ancestral dead end, leaving behind no progeny and no legacy. And every once in a while, the woman making this case is someone other than Chelsea Handler. But whether it's Chelsea Handler or not, the argument is always effectively the same. If you don't have kids, you can sleep in, relax, drink coffee in peace, leave the house whenever you want, and enjoy conveniences and luxuries that are beyond the reach of people with children. Now, the first and most obvious uh, response to this kind of claim is that it's simply untrue. It's a false premise. Parents can and do uh, know what it's like to do all of those things, sleep in, drink coffee peacefully, etc. We know because we experienced those things before we had kids, and once our kids get older, we'll have just as much access to them as Andrea Bartz does. In fact, all of the luxuries she mentions really only become difficult when you have young kids. And this is almost always the case when child-free, quote-unquote, people talk about what they imagine the irritations and sufferings of parents must be. They're almost always talking about parenting young children. If your kids are, say, 10 or older, however, there's no reason why you can't sleep in or enjoy silence in your home or you know, even leave the house without much hassle. So if these things do fall out of reach, it's, on, it's only for, in most cases, maybe a 10-year window or so. In my case, the window's a little bit longer because we have 87 kids. Still, it's not a permanent situation. And even when you have young kids, even if you have 87 young kids, you can still experience the joy of sleeping in and relaxing and so on. It just requires a little bit of, a little bit of planning. You have to hire babysitters. You have to get the grandparents to watch the kids so you can spend a few days just with your spouse or something. There are many ways to orchestrate some relaxation time, no matter how many kids you have, and no matter how young they are. You just have to put in some effort and some planning and be intentional to make those sorts of joys available. In fact, I would argue that only parents of young kids can experience those joys, however fleetingly. 
Sure, a 37-year-old woman without kids can wake up late in the morning and have a cup of coffee in silence, but this is not any great treat for her. It's just her life. It's her every day. She has nothing to compare it to. I had many quiet cups of coffee before I had kids, but I didn't find actual joy in those moments because it's all I ever knew. You you take it for granted. Yeah, I, I admit I don't get very many quiet moments at this stage of my life, but when I do get a single moment like that, I guarantee I enjoy it a thousand times more than Andrea has enjoyed all of her quiet moments combined. So she has me beat on quantity, but I'm winning on quality. It's a simple and perhaps uh, kind of depressing reality of the human condition that we can't really appreciate something unless we've experienced its opposite. You know, unless you have something to compare it to, you can't really appreciate it. You just can't. You can't really enjoy being full unless you've been really hungry. You can't enjoy lying in bed unless you've been very tired. You can't really enjoy walking out of the house without hassle unless you've actually experienced trying to walk out of the house with a gaggle of small children who can't find their shoes or their jackets and are wearing clothing that has somehow become filthy and stained in the 30 minutes since you put it on them. Uh, if you've experienced that, then yes, in the moments when you get to walk out of the house and everything's fine, you go, wow, that's a relief. What this means is that only people with children can actually experience the kinds of joys that are supposedly only available to people without them. Life has an, an ironic way about it, you know, in that way. Besides, when it comes to, to quiet, you know, not all moments of quiet are made the same. So for example, last night at a, you know, about 10 o'clock, Andrea Bartz, I assume, was, was most likely in her house alone, wherever she lives, and, uh, and I'm sure it was very quiet. And I was in my house, where I live, and it was also very quiet. But it was a full kind of quiet. It was a warm quiet, not an empty and cold quiet. My children were asleep. My wife had gone to bed. I went up to my kids' rooms. I checked on them, tucked them back in. Um, and then I sat on my couch, and I, I read a book. The house was as quiet as a house can get just as it is, is every night, even though it was full of kids. So we were both relaxing in the silence, but mine was not a solitary silence. Mine was the silence you get after you tuck your children into bed and kiss them goodnight. Hers was the silence that you get when you have no children to tuck in and nobody to kiss goodnight. And I'll take mine any day. I'll take both my loud and my quiet, my no noise and my silence. There's joy available in both, and I think to a much greater degree. But that's the key word, you know, available. And I made this point before, but I think it's worth repeating because it's something that, um, quote, child-free advocates seem to miss. I think many people miss it in many contexts in modern society. Now, they're correct when they point out that um, parenting brings all kinds of challenges that might cause parents to feel irritated and overwhelmed. There's plenty in parenthood that can cause real suffering. I mean, all of that is true. It's also true that some parents are never happy. They regret having kids. They resent their kids for existing. That, that, that's, there are parents like that, no doubt about it. They're miserable. And their kids will rightly grow to hate them for being so miserable, which will only heap more misery on top of misery. All of that is true. But that's because the joy of parenthood is available, but it's not imposed on us against our will. It will not sprinkle down on us like rain from the clouds. It's made available, but you have to choose to experience it. And choosing joy is all about focus. What are you deciding to focus on? What are you paying attention to? You can take joy in those hectic mornings when your house is full of life and noise and energy. 
you, you could take, that's, that could be a joyful thing, or you can focus on the fact that you can't drink your cup of coffee in peace. You can pay attention to what you aren't getting, what you can't do, or you could pay attention to the beauty in those moments. That, that's how you take the joy that's available or not. You can take it or you can turn it down. That's it. Life is presenting it, says, you, here's some joy. You can feel it right now if you want. But a lot of times people say, no, because I'd, I'd rather be focused on this thing that annoys me. Now, this is about as self-helpy as you'll ever hear me sound, but there's an important point in it, which is that literally all of the joys of a child-free, quote-unquote, life are absolutely available to those with children. You just might have to work a little harder to get them, or you might have to wait a little while and be a little patient. But the joys of parenthood are absolutely not available to those who are not parents. It's a, it's a whole category, an entire genre of joy that is out of reach for the childless. Whether they want to choose it or not, it's just not available. Life, it's not, it's not an option on the menu. Now, I'm not trying to rub it in or gloat. I'm just trying to convey to anyone who's hesitant to have kids because they're worried that they'll be unhappy, that you'll only be unhappy if you choose to be. But a whole new level of happiness will be open to you if you choose that instead. That's what Andrea Bartz and so many others who brag about being, quote, child-free don't see. And that's why they are today, again, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.